Ovid.tv is your new must-have streaming service. Their catalog gathers creative documentaries, art house titles, and works of international cinema from indie film distributors, including Grasshopper Film, Kim Stim, and First Run Features. Use the coupon code COMMENT at www.ovid.tv to get 50% off your first three-month subscription. Pick up your copy of the new issue of Film Comment, featuring a special section on the 57th New York Film Festival including Bong Joon-ho's Parasite, Pain and Glory and Pedro Almodovar on his literary inspirations, Noah Baumbach's Merit Story, Angela Shanalek's I Was at Home But, and Cornelio Poromboyo's The Whistlers. Support independent, non-profit film journalism today at filmcomment.com. Welcome to the Film Comment Podcast. My name is Nicholas Rippold, and I'm the Editor-in-Chief of Film Comment. One of my great satisfactions as an editor is really getting behind a movie and then seeing other moviegoers share the love. Parasite, the funny and fierce thriller from Bong Joon-ho, has been on the cover of our September-October issue since early September, but it wasn't released in theaters until last weekend. But what a weekend. Audiences are packing the theaters. To talk about the movie's appeal and Bong's masterful filmmaking, I got together with contributing editor Amy Taubin, who wrote our cover feature on Parasite, and film comment columnist Michael Koreski. You'll also want to read the Parasite essay by filmmaker Ari Aster, also available in our new issue. Let's go to the conversation. Welcome to the Film Comment Podcast. My name's Nick Rapold. I'm the editor-in-chief of Film Comment, and this is our Parasite podcast slash Bong Joon-ho podcast. Um, if I just say Parasite podcast, people immediately would turn it off and think we're going to talk about tapeworms or something. Um, so no, it's about the movie that has become a, a hit. I mean, it, even if you measure it in terms of per screen average, say, uh, it's been kind of a phenomenon. Um, we, of course, were there early. We put it on the cover of our September-October issue. And to discuss the movie and, you know, talk about his career generally i'm very happy to be joined by amy taubin and michael koreski uh and i mean where where do we begin i guess um i saw it in can amy and i saw it in can first actually i think we saw it did you see it together because i remember i think we did i think because i think you, we might have because yeah. you, I, I, I remember you're turning to me and saying um it's us i mean it, sorry yeah. it yeah <laughs> meaning to, not nick right. and i but <laughs> the movie, the Jordan Peele movie, Us. Right. Yes. Yeah. Thank you for clarifying. I was wondering. <laughs> yeah, for a moment I was like, geez, has it gone that bad, the editor-writer relationship? Um, but no. Um, and I, that really, I mean, kind of instantly opened it up a, 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 even more for me. Um, but have we all seen it now a second time as well? I've seen it three times. Three times, okay. I've seen it twice. So I guess one question about this movie since, uh, you know, it's about, I guess many people know the plot, but it's basically about uh, a, a you know a kind of uh, poor family getting um, insinuating itself into the house of a, of a rich family uh, uh, through you know filling various household professions there a tutor uh, and, you know a, a house housemaid candlestick maker I don't know just every everything there um, and then. You know, that's where we kind of stop because we don't want to give anything away usually. Um, but I'm curious, how has the movie changed having seen it a second time when you know the the twists that are around the corner and, and the general structure of it? Um, gee, 
the second time because you do know what's going to happen. Yeah. Um, what's surprising is it's just as surprising. Mm. And this is, I think, because he is one of those rare filmmakers that knows exactly where to put the camera. Mm. So you're always surprised by where he puts the camera, and then you realize, oh, yes, it's the only place <laughs> it should have been put. Right. So, yeah. I mean, he, it's it's... It's more than the twists in the story, which are really, it's a really great script, but it's the surprises in both the changes of tone mm. that catch you off guard, and um, and yeah, where he puts the camera. Yeah. So. Michael. Um, well, I, it, since you're talking about camera placement, I, I want to say that the when I think of Parasite, the first thing that comes to my mind is just the way the camera moves in one instance. And again, without giving away too much, but people who have seen it will know what I'm talking about. It's in the basement when um, the housekeeper returns mm. and she goes downstairs and the camera moves over this way and the way that her body is positioned in the frame in a doorway let's just say mm -hmm. is so startling when you first see it it's it's a body is not supposed to be doing that mm -hmm. uh, once you realize what's happening it makes spatial sense it makes physical sense but there's mm -hmm. something about the way the camera just kind of um i think just quickly pans over and catches this in the corner of the frame it it, I can't get it out of my head. I'm haunted by that. Mm -hmm. It's funny. It's scary. It completely changes. It's in that moment the movie changes because this body is suddenly um, in a place it's not supposed to be in the frame, yeah. and he is such a master of that. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I, you know, it's interesting for me how it changes a bit. Maybe it, it turns almost into more of a tragic, you know, narrative when you know where it's heading by the end, but that you know doesn't change the, the surprise of it or or, or the impact of it. Um, so that's definitely something that that also that also struck me. Um, I mean, are 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 we surprised that it is this popular as it yes. is? Yes. Yeah. Um, I mean, in part because it's a Korean movie, and mm. though the Song is a great great star in Korea, he's not a great international star yet. Although he should be. Yeah. It's a Korean movie that has, I think, really crossed over, and not only crossed over internationally but crossed over between the art house audience and the horror movie audience, because mm. it is a great horror movie. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, and, I, and to respond to something you were just saying, Nick, um, and my response to seeing it a second time, I think that that is um, a thing that um, Bong Joon-ho does, which is um, you get the sense of the tragedy more the second time you see it, because his films are tragic. His films have you, you. You, I think, Amy. You um, think this is maybe his most hopeless film. Yeah. I think you had said something like that. Mm -hmm. I, I just rewatched Okja, which yeah. is something that I said to myself I would never do. Yeah. I think it's an amazing movie, but it's a very, very painful movie. Um, and I, and I, and I did watch it again. And that's certainly a case where knowing where that movie goes and how far that movie goes, where it takes you in that final act. Um, changed my entire perception of the film and I could barely I could barely look at the screen I was so upset and moved 
by it. Because while you're watching that film, we can return to Okja in a bit if we want. I don't want to get too sidetracked, but mm-hmm. watching that film, the way it seems like an adorable CGI creature feature, right. you always kind of assume it's going to end in a particular way because you're trained to think these types of films end that way. And this movie does not end that way. Yeah. It's a very upsetting film and it's a very bold film. Um, and so uh, watching that again, I had that kind of a response where I was just overcome with grief and misery. Um, Parasite, I was very, very moved from the beginning this time knowing where it was going. I, I was kind of overcome with emotion a few times knowing what was about to happen. Yeah. yeah. I, I have a slightly different response. I mean, there is the, I think we can say it because you've either seen Okta by now right. or you haven't. Um, <laughs> Spoiler, or you never will. There's two types of people. <laughs> um, you know, this kind of children's movie ends up in, uh, in an abattoir. Uh, with the heroine ankle deep in blood, and you realize that what this is is a film about the horror of factory farming. And But he has that scene at the end that, for me, is very much like the scene on at the end of Agnieszka Holland's Spore, which mm. is streaming on Amazon. Finally, ah. you will be able to see it it's in true. the U.S. Streaming Finally. on Amazon, the greatest film of the 21st century wow. for me. Um, and it has th- this ending, which you'll see it, and it's not such a giveaway, mm-hmm. um, which is that they escaped to, pa- to something that's like paradise. They couldn't be real but within the context of the film, it is real. Mm-hmm. And uh, Holland's feeling was that you couldn't leave. You can't leave people absolutely hopeless. Mm-hmm. And I think what, that what Bong does in Parasite is more complicated because he gives you a vision of the paradise at the end that this might all end well, and then he takes it away. Mm-hmm. And yeah. you realize that that never could happen. So it, it is one of it is the most hopeless film he's ever made. Yeah. Even a film of his that I don't like so much, the the film on the train, oh, Snowpiercer. Snowpiercer. Yeah. I mean, they do, you know, the mother and the child escape into the snow, and there is the possibility that they will live. <laughs> <Yeah>. um, <laughs> and the snow is beautiful, cold but beautiful. <laughs> um, yeah, and it's hard to buy it, right? Which, which I, which is, I have a. It's not my favorite of his films either, but um, there, there is something that that is similar happening at the ends of all these films, where you're you are given a, t- a taste of a possible redemption or some other ending that you know is is not actually <laughs> the ending. I yeah. feel similar about Okja and Parasite in that way. Mm. Um, and actually, Parasite is so deft and it's so almost on the edge of not happening that. In the critic screening I was at, people were getting up and walking out before the very, very last shot, and then they realized it wasn't over because it has a very mm-hmm. slow fade, and I think it fades back up. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the you know critic stopped at the door. He's like, "Okay, wait, the film's not over yet." Because that <laughs> last <laughs> tiny, tiny section is so, so crucial. Yeah. Um, it actually reminded me of Spike Lee's Twenty Fifth Hour oh. in that way. If you oh, remember the very end of Twenty Fifth Hour, which is a very moving ending, and mm-hmm. has a very similar thing happen where you don't you don't realize you're watching this fanciful what if um, with with Parasite. Yeah, it's it's so moving because you know that this movie is about unbridgeable divides. It's just this is just not a possibility. Yeah, yeah. Um, I suddenly realized that we actually had a um, a Korean film kind of about the clash of classes as well for our September-October issue last year, 
which is Burning. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't really know what to make of that, but uh, that's a movie that I guess I regret to say did not take off um, particularly, um, I think. I mean, I don't even know that. Was... I did. I wouldn't have expected it to be a box no. office sensation. It's 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 a much more subtle, <laughs> no, drawn out true. film. It's but true. but it's yeah. funny that you brought that up because yeah. when I saw Parasite the second time with my husband, yeah. um, the first thing he said when it was over was, "Wow, that really reminded me of Burning hmm. in a lot of ways." And I actually hadn't thought of it before. Yeah, I mean that that's that's a movie that I guess is gets into a more mysterious register maybe just um but um, well, also the way that we interact or the way that you know people who don't have money interact with people who do have money right. and what can you trust and what can't you trust and what's a given and what's not a given yeah um yeah i'm still haunted by that movie but i have not seen that a second time yeah i need to go back and see burning again to pick up on some of those i've seen subtleties. burning a couple of times yeah um because i think the first time i saw it in can i didn't really get it you know, I'd, and particularly I didn't really get the ending. Mm. And in part because you can look at it, the difference between Burning and Parasite, I think it's a big difference, is that Parasite doesn't really have a narrating voice. Mm. It's a film mm-hmm. about a family. Mm. Burning has what is possibly an unreliable narrator mm-hmm. at the center. And so... What you're supposed to believe all the way through, is it the same cat or is it not the same cat, is really (laughs) up for grabs because the narrator is so unreliable. And it has in that way about three different endings piled up. Hmm. Um, So it's a much more evasive Hmm. film than Parasite, which is very straightforward Mm -hmm. in... You know, it just traps you into thinking that you can laugh a lot and it traps the people in the family into the fact that they think they are going to succeed and this is they've gotten themselves into a really cushy situation and then it just pulls the rug out from under them and you at the same time. It's not one of those, they know more than you, you know more than them. Right. It's really simultaneous. Yeah. Yeah, that I mean, that's something that's so much fun about Parasite is that you is that it does keep things so grounded. It's always about, you know, how do they, you know, how do they get this done? How do they get that done? You watch them in every step of, it, as, of the process that unfolds when they're when they're infiltrating the house. And at first, it's almost like a heist movie, you know, because they're making their way one by one um, into into securing a foothold on the house. Um, and it's 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 weird to have a movie that's so ground in that way and yet be so open in a way as well. It's really it's, it's interesting to talk about it right now after this first weekend. You, you're just talking about it being right. a popular film, and if, are yeah. we surprised if it's a, that it's a popular film? It's interesting to think about it being now um, confirmed as a successful film that people yeah. want to see, and it's selling out shows um, because it makes me think about something that I've been thinking about Bong for a while, which is that he is making movies that seem like escapist films that are the exact opposite of escapist films. Right. And I find that really, really interesting. In the way you're describing the film, that there is no escape. Right. Right? They're getting in deeper and deeper and deeper until, like, you know, again, like, you're you're going deep into the underground. Right. And you're caught there. Um, 
And but the movie has this pleasurable thing where you are attracting audiences who want to see the twists and turns and see where the camera goes and enjoy the fun characters and and there's a there's such a pleasure to it and then it's he's kind of taking it away from you okja was very much like that the pleasure is gone by the end of okja snowpiercer to a certain extent even if it's not very successful even mother which i think is his best Mm. film before this Mm. in a way so, well, I like a lot of his films. Memories of Murder is great too. Mm-hmm. Um, but even with Mother, it has like a, you know, a contraption quality. People use yeah, that word a lot, a you word. know, which yeah. just means that he actually kind of thinks about how to structure his films <laughs> and he cares about how the film right. is constructed. Um, but, but Mother takes it away Mother from you. the scene on the bus is devastating. Oh, my God. At the end. It's, it's one of the most memorable images I think of any yeah. film this decade, that yeah. ending of Mother. A yeah. lot of things in Mother. Mother continually does this thing where it gives you twists and turns, but every yeah. time there's a twist and turn, it doesn't um, It doesn't give you more of a grounding. It kind of keeps taking things away from you until you're just left bereft. Yeah. And it's amazing how consistently he's been doing that in his career. Yeah. These movies that people in, they, they, they enjoy, it's super fun. People say, you got to see Parasite. It's so much fun. <laughs> My God, it, but it's so grim. Yeah. <laughs> what yeah. Is it? But it's speaking to them. Yeah. I mean, it's strange. I mean, between this and also Okja, his ability to use spectacle, but not in a way that like takes you out. You know, it, it's not something you're just, in, you know, enjoying and, and seeing from the outside. I mean, he builds this perfect box. It's almost like this classic contraption you said. You know, there have been a lot of movies, thrillers set in houses, even with a lot of like stuff going on underground um, upstairs downstairs um but yeah it's it's you're still um within it well i i'm curious if we could talk about the the subtext that's almost become the text for a lot of people um which is just about class in, in the film um so this is also something that i think it manages to do you know without hammering you over the head with it uh, um i, I mean I have to say, when I first saw it, I it, it wasn't really a part of my thinking. I, I you know, it's it it just unfolds naturally in terms of like a family trying to find a foothold, trying to you know support itself, um, and he doesn't pit it as necessarily one class against another uh, in order to communicate something about the the tension between them. Um, at the same time, he doesn't like you know valorize one over the other, um, which is a pretty hard tightrope to walk as well. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I it, it doesn't yeah it doesn't seem like subtext to me. It seems pretty yeah, blatant. Yeah, it's the wrong word for um, it. You're right. But, um, but one thing that's yeah, it's interesting that you don't um, necessarily identify with any one character, as you were saying, Amy, because it's it's an ensemble. It's about families. When I was watching Okja again, I thought, oh, the, this Okja actually is about an innocent, right? Mm-hmm. Okja, two innocents. Okja, it's Okja herself. Is an innocent creature, and the and the girl who who um, wants nothing more than to take care of the animal is an innocent, um, and that's very different that from Parasite, where mm-hmm. um, you know they're they're con men, right? Yeah. To a certain extent, yeah. <laughs> you're you're intrigued by them, and you and you aren't necessarily siding with the wealthy family who seem very. Um, oblivious to the world around them and they mm-hmm. continue to be as the film goes on yeah. to a really devastating degree um, but that lack of identification I thought kind of is what got home what, what, what kind of nailed the, the, the kind of class ideas or the commentary yeah I mean the, the rich family doesn't seem like particularly I don't know villainous they just seem like the usual like <laughs> self obsessed kind of obl- obl- oblivious you know I mean, they're they're ones. I think I read an interview where he's like, 
in some ways they're the trapped ones because they trap themselves by relying on so many other people. Um, and, and I mean, it's a nice trap, but <laughs> it's a comfortable trap, I guess. But at the same time, it, you know, it's, it's, it, it you know, it limits, I, I would think limits their development as human beings. But, uh, Oh, the one movie we've left out of his is The Host. Yeah. Which also, which I think is a great movie. Yeah. And it really mm-hmm. figures in here, but in a very different way. Mm-hmm. Because, again, you have the family, you know, the son, a daughter, mother, and father. Yeah. And, again, they're poor, and they have, um, but kind of ingenious about <laughs> managing to keep afloat. Mm-hmm. Uh in this kind of convenience store on the beach. Mm-hmm. And the problem in that film is much more a classic horror film. You know, it's the Americans have polluted the water and right. given birth to something like Godzilla, the underwater Godzilla. <laughs> um, all his films are about people who take on a problem and that's what struck me is about Parasite being so extreme. His other films are about people who mostly song as the protagonist, taking on a problem, and he doesn't really know how to solve it um, because he's out of his depth all the time. Mm. I mean, he's out of his depth in Memories of Murder. Yeah. He's out of his depth in the host, but still he has a plan. He acts on it. Mm-hmm. It works a little bit, but not all the way. And that's what the film is built around, how his plan is not a perfect plan. In this, in Parasite, there is that moment where he says distinctly and puts his hand over his eyes, I have no plans. Yeah. And that absolute falling to the bottom uh, of seeing that there is just no way out except, you know, that opens the way to the return of the repressed, that opens the way to the irrational because you have no more rational possibilities. Um, and so when class difference gets so extreme mm. that there is nothing rational to be done, I mean, Elizabeth Warren will not solve it rationally. You have to worry about, you know, what comes next? Film Cummins' Jordan Cronk describes Ovid.tv as the first streaming service whose selection of contemporary art house films may prove to be its primary draw. Ovid.tv features over 600 award-winning films and works of international cinema that you can't find anywhere else. Sign up today to start watching the very best of Asian cinema, including Ryusuke Hamaguchi's Happy Hour, Wang Bing's Bitter Money, and six documentaries from Kazuhiro Soda. From now until November 30th, 2019, you can save 50% off your first three months of Ovid.tv. Just head over to www.ovid.tv and sign up with the coupon code COMMENT at checkout. Pick up your copy of the new issue of Film Comment, featuring a special section on the 57th New York Film Festival, including Bong Joon-ho's Parasite, Pain and Glory and Pedro Almodovar on his literary inspirations, Noah Baumbach's Merit Story, Angela Shanalek's I Was at Home But, and Cornelio Poromboyo's The Whistlers. Support independent, non-profit film journalism today at filmcomment.com. We haven't mentioned Hitchcock yet, I guess, but 
it's interesting to think just what you were describing how he you know he's, he plays characters who can't figure out the problem it just reminds me of the hitchcockian kind of hero who's dropped into some conspiracy they don't even entirely understand and then we just get to w- watch it uh, unfold um but there's always a kind of this has an element of realism that 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 didn't that it's grounded in in I, the i don't know the, the pressures of actual life you feel more in in, in, in um, bong's films well and you had written so beautifully about that um in your piece amy in film comment that actually kind of opened up new ways for me of thinking about the movie another thing um that you that you wrote about that i thought is a good way of talking about um the way class is depicted in this film is, is in the architecture mm. i mean the way that the two spaces are shot and um are directed it's really um you have this basement apartment and you have this incredibly beautiful modern space that anybody would envy. Mm-hmm. Um, but the first shot of that film is this, you know, low down on underground, you know, looking up through this window into this alleyway where the uh, Kim family lives, with the socks hanging. <laughs> it's a very important thing actually, because the movie is a lot about what you can perceive and also what you can smell. Um, oh, right. But yeah, this, this just be, the beautiful set design is so important. Just have these two spaces. Yeah. And they built those spaces. I mean, obviously they did, but it, they built them, but it never occurred to me watching the movie that these were sets. Mm-hmm. You know, And I'm usually really conscious of how it's made. I just believed in those two spaces completely. Yeah, yeah, it is, it is pretty remarkable. You never feel like if you turned a corner, there wouldn't be anything left, you know, like there wouldn't be anything there at all. Um, yeah, it was Even all with a labyrinthine basement. Yeah. <laughs> it still yeah. seemed like, Oh, that they found a house that has this amazing, uh, yeah. bomb shelter or which, something. Yeah. Which is a great nightmarish. Sp- which actually space. a lot of wealthy In Koreans Korea. do have. Right. Yeah. And I'm, yeah, I'm sure. which is an incredible subtext for this film. As yeah. Well. Yeah. The, the, the idea of the escape hatch that they have that, that you, you don't, um, I, one one neat little bit of of, of, of trivia, I guess. Um, uh, I I think Bong Joon Ho said that part, some of the inspiration of the film were just dates all the way back to when he was in university and he got a job, I guess, as kind of a tutor working in a wealthy family's house and just feeling something different about the space and what it conveyed. Um, so I just thought that's an interesting thing. I haven't really seen um, mentioned as much. But um, Well, because I won't use his name and because it doesn't matter, I, I can say this, but I've been I've been fascinated by this, this kind of a relationship um, for most of my adult life because when I was in college, when I was a uh, freshman, no, when I was a sophomore in college, mm-hmm. one of my best friends got a job as um, he, he was like a, a babysitter slash live-in nanny. Mm-hmm. Live-in, live he would go like three to four times a week for a wealthy family and their children. And um, within the first week of being there, the father said, well, now's the time when we shower. And he said, excuse me? He says, well, now we all shower together. And the kids took their clothes off. The father took his clothes off and he invited him into the shower with them. My jaw just dropped. (laughs) (laughs) This was something that uh, opened my eyes that, you know, people, (laughs) different strata of society live in very different ways. But I think I think about that story when I when I uh, think of Parasite. Yeah. Well, you know, nothing as grotesque happens in Parasite, but right. you know, us, which has a very strong relationship right. to Parasite, um, and there's that story that uh, Jordan Peele tells about oh, yeah. going being at Sarah Lawrence, where I went to college, mm-hmm. and when you come from New York up on the Metro North to Bronxville, which is 
where Te- Sarah Lawrence addresses, although Sarah Lawrence is actually in Yonkers, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> technically, mm-hmm. um, is on the wrong side of the tracks in Bronxville. Uh-huh. So you have to cross underneath through it. You walk down a flight of stairs, and then you walk through this dark tunnel to get to the road that leads to Sarah Lawrence. Mm-hmm. And this was in the 80s, and Jordan Peele came from a middle-class black family in New York. And he started thinking when he went in the tunnel that someone was following him. And he imagined that this person, when he turned around, looked exactly like him. And it was obviously the black man his age who was left behind who didn't get into Sarah Lawrence. And when I read that, it was extraordinary because I walked in that tunnel all the time. And also because the theater building at Sarah Lawrence has this staircase with granite blocks on the side of it going down into a sub-basement, which is where all the theater offices and the dance Mm. studio used to be. And I just thought, this is Jordan (laughs) Peele's Sarah Lawrence film. This is some kind of primal dream about being, you know, a member of the Talented Ten and getting into Sarah Lawrence and leaving everyone he grew up and went to high school with behind. Yeah. Yeah, it's um, fascinating. Yeah, it it is. I mean, the, yeah, this I'm just interested in this idea of like a house having its own like internal logic that comes out of the family's own logic somehow, and that it might be consistent to them. But you know, <laughs> Michael Story, for example, just like it's not like a healthy logic necessarily. Whatever routines are are, are, are going on. Well, and what's fascinating about yeah. if you think about um, so there's the the in the wealthy family, the Parks. There's the the youngest child mm-hmm. who is. Um, I'm trying to think of how to define him. He, he could be a troubled child. He's, he's rambunctious. He's obsessed with um, Native American tchotchkes, and he, yeah. he has a tomahawk. And um, he paints. He paints these kind of elaborately um, psychotic child <laughs> child drawings. Yeah. Or they could be nothing. But the way that, you know the family kind of coddles him and is concerned about him at the expense of the daughter that they the teenage right. daughter they ignore. Um, but the way that the the boy, the little boy, sort of he runs so rampant over the household that he almost kind of re he he kind of reconfigures the architecture mm-hmm. of the place. Mm-hmm. So there's a very important central sequence where he demands to sleep outside right. in a rainstorm in a um, kind of makeshift teepee tent. And well, it's not so makeshift. I it's mean, pretty it's elaborate, lit, actually. Really, <laughs> that's true. Incredibly. It was probably yeah. very expensive. Mail order, a mail order teepee, <laughs> some sort. And of course, the parents just say yes, and they change their their plans that night so they can watch him through the windows. Yeah. But that 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 sequence is amazing, also because what happens on the lawn in the climax is very important, where this mm-hmm. where the teepee is taken down. The tomahawk that appears in the first act. <laughs> a lot of things that appear early and come back later, but yeah. it really. Um, but you know the the family kind of the the house changes based on where they yeah. are at any given time and yeah. and what they're allowed to do yeah yeah um well and, and the, the whole use of its indoor outdoor space is really interesting i mean i'm just i'm just fascinated by a movie that can just keep you indoors for that amount of time and you're never you know you never get bored of this of the space and and but just the way he he, he you know a house like that i amy i don't know if it was in a piece you wrote or but 
that it's it's this you know kind of modernist design that once meant something but when it's just something that you buy and that is tailored around like kind of luxury needs it loses whatever idealistic qualities it had before and just becomes this showcase of of what you can buy well Um, yes the architecture is what you can buy because what's really interesting is that the poor families uh, basement apartment is totally cluttered because they can't afford to throw anything out. So they right. have everything they've ever come across in plastic bags. <laughs> Whereas the rich family, yeah. everything is hidden in built-ins. That's true. So that the lines of this beautiful spare architecture are always in view. But you have no idea what they've got in those built-ins. You know, in most movies, they would have a scene where you walk into the walk-in closet and you see that the guy has 50,000 suits. That doesn't happen here. That's true. true. It doesn't. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, instead, I don't know if you have a scene where... I don't know why I thought of this, but just when he's testing out, um, testing out the father as a driver, as a chauffeur, where he's subtly holding his, what is he, he's holding his drink or something to make sure it's not wobbling in the ride. Um, That's how he conveys, I don't know. Well, well, it's just great because when you see scenes like that, when the camera scans past the 50 suits, Mm -hmm. there's always the the sense you get that it's getting off on the materialism as much as it's uh, critiquing it. Bong seems to have no interest in the materialism. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah it is yeah, very that's true. That's a great point. Yeah, and and it's it's yeah it's it's also almost um, I don't know having all the surfaces covered like that. There's it seems like there's a built-in anxiety to that as well. But I don't know how I would unpack that. Oh yeah, I mean you have this feeling that because on some level you're aware that everything in that house is hidden. Mm-hmm then you get very nervous about what else might be hidden. Right. I mean, it's totally unconscious until it comes to the surface. Yeah, yeah. Which makes me think, Which as, to synthesize something based yes. on what you are saying at Hitchcock earlier, oh, yeah. uh, you know, and that the film is so good at being in one space, I was just um, teaching rope to my class oh, recently. Wow. Uh-huh. And it's, you know, it's, it's, it's a film about class. It's a film about what you see, what you can't see. And it's a film that's obviously all in one place. Mm-hmm. And, um, and obviously it's a film about um, death. And um, I was thinking about that movie a lot, actually, when I was watching this. Obviously, there's very different things happen in these films. But there also you also have these um, characters who are plotting something it's more nefarious and in rope and you know what it is from the beginning but the best laid plans don't work out and yeah. it kind of all spirals out from there in this one space with with that amazing window that you know turns from day to night um yeah. so I, yeah i was I, I think that i think bong does have that kind of hitchcockian mm. quality for a word that's overused it's true well, mm. i think there are actually two the two asian filmmakers who are really obviously looked at Hitchcock frame by frame or Bong and Kiyoshi Kurosawa mm. who mm. his new film I think is amazing mm, me too yeah yes. I like it as well yeah yeah we were we were talking about that a bit um, on the panel last week to the ends of the earth yeah the new Kurosawa yeah. but film. in yeah. the same way he knows where to put that camera mm-hmm. yeah um, and uh, well let's see maybe we can since we started talking about Kiyoshi Kurosawa um, I, this does seem like a film that comes at a time where a number of filmmakers are sort of realizing the full extent of their powers by talking about class and, and, and you know, playing out scenarios of, of class. Um, actually, 
I'm being curious about that tendency and also the tendency to, um, which is probably related, the tendency to show the power of art somehow within within a film. Um, they're probably related reactions to the world <laughs> as it is right now. Um, but Parasite showed in the New York Film Festival just now and movies like The Irishman, for example, which seems this really concerted effort to tell a kind of, you know, working man saga uh, over, over the years, uh, um, even if the working man happens to be a hitman, but still, I think that's probably what what is about um, to a large extent. Um, and then uh, Martin Eden, you know, even though its time periods are are little, um, you know, um, kept murky, um, also centers on that a, a figure who starts out as a sailor and then you know has his exposure to to the ruling classes. Um, and I don't know. So how, how where do we think this? Parasite plugs in in terms of these different movies, or how do they connect? Baccarat is another one. Takes a more of a, I don't know. Baccarat would be like Parasite if I don't know. They started going house to house or something. <laughs> um, I look. I think the two great problems in the world today are um, that we've pretty much destroyed the environment. Uh, and are probably headed toward extinction and um, really fast. And uh, that we all feel powerless because there is so much power in the ruling class, which is the, you know, quarter of 1% of the world. And that's mm -hmm. not just true in the United States where you read that in the newspaper every single day. That's true worldwide. It certainly is true in Korea. Mm -hmm. um, it certainly is true in Italy. I mean, it's true in all the, the places that these films are being made, yeah. which are talking about class front and center. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I feel like this movie is obviously speaking to people on that level. I think Okja did. I think Snowpiercer did. Mm -hmm. I think I think I think Bong is saying the deck is stacked against us and especially the us who are at the lowest, you know, not even talking about us in this room, the people who are at the lowest mm -hmm. of rung of the ladder. And um I think that there's actually something Maybe there's something empowering even for those two hours to see a movie like Parasite where those ideas, those truths, the realities of the way we live are actually being expressed to you in, uh, in an entertaining way. Mm -hmm. um, I, don't, I don't need my movies to be entertaining. <laughs> this happens to be an entertaining movie right. that deals with those things. I think it speaks to this moment really well. Again, I was re-watching Okja. I mean, I, I'm telling you, I had a very strong reaction to it. Hmm. It's a very upsetting film. Yeah, it is. And I did feel like it was as hopeless as, as Parasite when I was watching it this time. Um, because it's so, I mean, the, yes, it's, it's um, Okja is on the surface about, um, you know, food manufacturing and, um, you know, literally about, um, you know, the Holocaust against animals hmm. because of the capitalism. Um, but it's about so much more than that. It's about, it's about jolting your moral sense. Mm -hmm. And I think that Parasite does that on its own level too. I think yeah. there's something, um, even for that, I think it's that jolt, it's that jolt you feel when you actually have, see a film that, that cares about morality and cares about the way the world is. And I think that that's uh, pretty important these days. Yeah. yeah. And that it's something that you could 
try to apply or think about because I mean, oftentimes a movie will just seem removed from you and, and the decisions that are made, you know, aren't the sort of things you might reflect upon, but yeah, there's something about the way Parasite gets in your head. I, don't I mean, know. the interesting thing for me about Parasite is it's not the near future. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not the future dystopia. Right. It's this dystopia we're living in now. And the difference between it and why I feel it more strongly than, um, uh, what is the name of Marty's movie? Oh, The Irishman. The Irishman, yeah. or even Martin Eden. Mm-hmm. Is there movies about the 20th century, about mm-hmm. the setup for right. where yeah. we are now, how yeah. we got here? Mm-hmm. But parasite is we are here now this is it yeah yeah there's almost something i won't say comforting but (laughs) about going through this setup again and again and again which i feel like a lot of filmmakers are still doing as opposed to showing something now Uh, yeah i mean well it's terrifying (laughs) i don't know how else to put it to confront you know the current reality and the current intractability um which yeah well i mean it's funny i have and i haven't seen it but mm-hmm. there is a very popular film right now, the number one film <laughs> in the country, uh-huh. <laughs> um, that it seems like, from what I've heard, it's it's trying really hard to wrestle with ideas of where we are right now. Oh, it's just idiotic. But I haven't seen it, and I don't really want to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's just, he's so stupid. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I guess we can... I don't know. Air Joker. Air. We're talking about Joker. We're talking about Joker. Oh, I didn't want to say the word. <laughs> word. Don't hashtag it. Yeah. I I mean, it's worth mentioning because it's, I, I was trying, I, w- I was trying to come up with the right term. Like it's a Potemkin village of a movie about something, you know, like it's not actually about something. It has, it has all the, I mean, Amy, we were just talking before it t- borrows and steals all these things from other movies for like effect. And, but it doesn't actually, yeah, it doesn't actually grapple with those issues. And, like it even caters to me or us by casting someone like Joaquin Phoenix. And you think, oh, he's going to bring something to it that's uncontainable, that, you know, that is not just something that can be used. But um, no. <laughs> I also feel like um, I'm thinking of other popular films right now. I, mm. I was I asked, thinking of Ad Astra. There, there are movies mm. that they make, they make um, these really kind of slight, and I, I want to say, you know, half-assed gestures towards what's going on there's a lot of things i liked about the way that movie was made and i love looking at brad pitt's face but um the backstory of ad astra it's it's kind of going for this kind of faint at this um kind of environmental disaster that happened and it's so unclear what happened you know and so when i think of ad astra i think of a beautifully made movie that has no like true impact or effect whereas snowpiercer is kind of like a questionably successful film that has a very clear political message that stays with me years later. Mm. I'm going to forget what happens in Ad Astra other than like, you know, cutting yourself from the father and letting him fly away. I'll remember that. (laughs) Um, But I, I will not forget. Sorry. I know Ad Astra is loved by some people in this room. Um, Snowpiercer, it's a goofy movie in a lot of ways. I'm not going to forget that incredibly perfect metaphor of that film. Yeah. That's great. That train metaphor is great. (laughs) You have the people in the back of the train who have nothing and they eat sludge. And then you have (laughs) Tilda Swinton and the wealthy people in the front eating their lobster. I mean, that's that's fantastic. Yeah. And also just the thing that does not stop moving. I just like that as well. So we're just trapped i mean it's it's basically the horizontal equivalent of free fall i also love that that movie is not too far in the future it's a dystopia but it's actually 
set in 2030, I think. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so Snowpiercer like is also happening away. right now. Yeah, that's always, not? that's always a fun game, going back to movies from like the 80s and 70s when their dateline comes up. Oh, yeah, wait, that already happened. 2001. <laughs> 2001, for example. Or, yeah, I think it's Demolition Man, where they make a joke about President Schwarzenegger. And it's like, almost, it yeah. almost happened. Yeah. Um, he was governor. Um, well, um, I don't know where else really to, to take this. <laughs> that was, those are kind of the points. But I guess we can sort of um, end with one thing that Michael referenced earlier from, from your piece, Amy. Just that this you distinguish this from, from Bong's past films. Um, I don't think we've gone through this really. But you, by saying that there's no hope of any lasting change based in this movie. I wonder if you could elaborate on that very gloomy well, <laughs> leave us on that. <laughs> I mean, yeah right leave them laughing uh, i mean i think we've talked about it yeah, yeah you know so. that um in i mean that particular character and that particular actor who's such really is an axiom of his films mm. um he always has a plan yeah and in this film Everything he tries is so frustrated. And when the fall comes, it comes in so many ways. Mm -hmm. I mean, not only is the plan he had kind of discovered and it can't go any further, but then something terrible happens. So he loses even, the family loses even that terrible basement apartment. I mean, everything is lost. Yeah. And at that point, there is no way out. And he just says, I have no plans. Yeah. And that's someplace that I just don't think, you know, we seldom get there in any films. Uh, in an odd way, but we've never been there in his films before. Someone always has some half-assed plan that we know won't work, but it's right. a half-assed plan nevertheless. And yeah. it keeps the demons back. You just focus on that. Right, yeah. And, um, you know, the end of Marty's films is really that kind of end mm -hmm. where someone who carried out everyone else's plan, right. now all of them are gone, and he is nothing. I mean, he's just this empty shell. There is no future. I mean, obviously no future because he's in an old age home, but... There's no future in that for that world. That world is maybe over. It's not a way you can come up from having nothing to having what uh, you have in Goodfellas. Okay. Even that can't work. Yeah, yeah. It's all, all that killing for all that killing for nothing. Yeah, yeah. We, we, yeah. Which is it's and, and yeah, not having something you can place your entire value system around as well. Um, that yeah, um, maybe we can add a one trivia bit, which we and were... the same thing in the end of Martin Eden. Oh yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I, I realized we forgot to mention one little trivia bit we wanted to uh, talk about, just so also we don't end on that note. <laughs> <laughs> but we can end on a good note, which is that the murderer in Memories of Murder. There was a nice news story. Was. <laughs> nice news story was was caught so that the murderer that that movie was based upon was caught so i don't know where to take that progress <laughs> <laughs> well i mean because that movie 
you know, that's his second feature, I believe, Bong's uh-huh. second feature. Uh-huh. That yeah. movie is so much about the irresolvability of life. Yeah. So <laughs> there's, there's something strange about the fact that it was yeah. resolved. That <laughs> he's finally found. And he's finally found. It wouldn't change anything for the main character of the film, though. No, that movie no, exists and it's been completed. Yeah, well, maybe we can end on that riddling note then. Um, but uh, there's plenty more to see, but we encourage you all to see Parasite and uh, read our, our, our story. Uh, in the current issue of Film Comment. But thank you both for, for, for talking. Thank you. Thank you. And we are smiling. And we are, we are actually. <laughs> we'll whistle off. You've been listening to the Film Comment podcast with music by Greg Einge. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher. Film Comment is a bi-monthly magazine published by the Film Society of Lincoln Center. Since 1962, Film Comment has featured in-depth features, critical analysis, and feature coverage of mainstream, art house, and avant-garde filmmaking from around the world. Visit us online at filmcomment.com to purchase a print or digital subscription to Film Comment. Or check out our app, available on Android, iOS, or Kindle. Stream your favorite documentaries, art house films, and works of international cinema at ovid.tv. It's a home for precisely the types of films that are increasingly becoming more difficult to find and watch. So if you'd like to support independent cinema, we invite you to sign up at www.ovid.tv. New titles are added each week. Pick up your copy of the new issue of Film Comment, featuring a special section on the 57th New York Film Festival, including Bong Joon-ho's Parasite, Pain and Glory and Pedro Almodovar on his literary inspirations, Noah Baumbach's Merit Story, Angela Shanalek's I Was at Home But, and Cornelio Poromboyo's The Whistlers. Support independent nonprofit film journalism today at filmcomment.com.